When a believer loses his saltiness because of a compromised life, then righteousness is no longer preserved. And so God is in the business of transforming lives that we in turn might influence the culture. But when sin and compromise and coldness of heart sets in, when it begins to ooze in the hearts of God's people, then our effectiveness is gone. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled in his series, God's Prophetic Schedule. Last week, we saw that in Noah's day, there were days of gross apostasy, days of godless anarchy, and days of great apathy. Today, we will see that there is a parallel between the days of Lot and the days in which we currently live. Furthermore, both Noah and Lot were both saved men, but both men had very different outcomes. Today's sermon is entitled, Lot's Day and Jesus' Return, and we will be in the book of Genesis chapters 13 through 19. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. Take God's word with you this morning and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 13. If you are joining us for the first time, we recently completed a book of the Bible. And before we begin our next book, I'm doing a series called God's Prophetic Schedule. And as you can see from the bulletin outline today, concerns Lot and the days in which he lived. God prophesied about these days in advance that we might be prepared for them and so that we would not be surprised when they came. And God spoke in both the Old and New Testaments by type, by analogy, by direct prophecy of the very days we're going to study. So this morning I want us to think about the days in which we find ourselves by considering the days of Lot. You say, well, why the days of Lot, Pastor? Because of these words that Jesus said. Listen to this. I'm reading from Luke 17. And just as it happened in the days of Noah... So will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So the Lord Jesus, if you were here last week, taught us that there was a parallel between the days of Noah and his return. And today he is going to underscore for us, and we'll study it from the book of Genesis, that there's a parallel between the days of Lot and the days in which we live in. So you can see the topic is Lot's day and Jesus' return. Before I'm finished, I think it will be clear to all of us that both Noah and Lot were not only saved men, but they had different outcomes. Noah had a fantastic outcome, relatively speaking, for an old covenant saint. Lot's outcome was disastrous. Now, providentially, this sermon fell on Father's Day. And that's, I think, just the Lord's working. God knows that at the end of time, in the latter days, that many people's hearts would be cold and indifferent. Speaking of not unbelievers, but believers, at the end of the age, which we will study later in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus said this, because lawlessness is increased. And Jesus said, 
through John his apostle, sin is lawlessness. Because lawlessness or sin is increased, most people's love will grow cold. The New American Standard had a predecessor. It was called the ASV, the American Standard Version of 1901. And that translation says, because lawlessness is multiplied. In other words, there's always been sin. But at the end of time, God says it will be multiplied. In fact, it will become so increased that it will be very difficult for those of you in law enforcement to be able to control it. Why? Because the love of God's people, their heart will grow cold. And when you extinguish the light that we're supposed to have, darkness overtakes the light. And when a believer loses his saltiness because of a compromised life, then righteousness is no longer preserved. And so God is in the business of transforming lives that we in turn might influence the culture. But when sin and compromise and coldness of heart sets in, when it begins to ooze in the hearts of God's people, then our effectiveness is gone. Now today we're going to be studying a father who just messed up royally. And since Lot and his family are a picture of what many believers will be like before the return of Jesus, I want us to study this man so that you and I might not be like him. We don't have to be like him. We choose to be like him. And many times, one of the reasons God will record failure in Scripture is because he wants us to learn from it. Listen to these words that the Apostle Paul said. He said, now, these things, he had just recounted in 1 Corinthians 10, a number of Israel's great sins. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So there's much on this Father's Day that we can learn from Lot's failure. And if you're not a father but newly married, there's something you need to hear today. And if you're a wife, God has something here for you. If you're a young child, listen up, because God wants to speak to you and prepare you for the day in which you find yourself. Sadly, in Genesis 13 through 19, we have the account of a foolish father who had a wicked wife and delinquent daughters. And there's a process that he goes through that leads to the disintegration of his family. It's unfolded really in three phases. There on your outline... It begins with the warning from Lot's worldly compromise. Phase one in the story of Lot serves as a warning, and it's rooted in his worldly compromise. If you're new online, there's a place where you can print out the uh, outline this morning, or if you're here and it's your first time, it's right there in the bulletin. Now, I want to begin reading in Genesis chapter 13. Follow along in verse 1. So Abram, and by the way, if I call Abram Abraham before he is renamed Abraham, I'm in good company because Stephen did that in his great sermon in the uh, book of Acts. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold, He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lod, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. The land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. 
And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. Now don't miss what's happening here. Abram and Lot both have so many cattle and sheep, they're prospering so much that there's not enough grazing land for both of them side by side. And so this range war starts between the cowboys of Abram and the cowboys of Lot, and they get into some argument, and Abraham, who's concerned about their testimony, wants to mediate a solution. Look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, because we're brothers. He's saying, look, we're brothers. We both love and serve the same God. Not to mention, we're living in this land with the Canaanite and the Perizzite. And it won't do any good for them to see that we're not getting along. So he knew that this quarrel needed to be quickly quelled. And so God adds this important footnote in verse 7, that the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. Unlike Abram when he was out of fellowship with the Lord down in Egypt, right now he's walking closely to the Lord, and he's very concerned with his personal testimony. The devil knows that if he can see God's people fighting and at odds with one another, that they won't listen to the message that we are to share. And so notice verse 9, he responds in a very unselfish way. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. What a marvelous and unselfish attitude. Lot, you choose. If, if you want to go north, I'll go south. If you want to go west, I'll go east. You choose. It's in your court. I'm impressed with him because he's the leader. He's the older of the two. Abraham being the recipient of this covenant that God had made from which all the nations of the world would be blessed because through his offspring would come the Messiah. God is blessing him incredibly. And Lot is a recipient. He experiences the overflow of this man of God's blessing. He could have said, Lot, it's over. (laughs) Look, you're just going to have to work for me. That's it. But that's not what he does. He doesn't pull rank. He doesn't play king of the hill. He very cordially, very graciously, unselfishly, he lets him choose. Now, on the other hand, Lot, he's filled with greed. He's filled with worldliness. Look at verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that parenthetical footnote by Moses identifies the location of the property. It's called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's a unique piece of real estate. I hope you picked up the two distinctive traits that this land has. First, notice it's called, it's like the Garden of the Lord. In other words, he's comparing it to the Garden of Eden. Now, no one had been in the Garden of Eden since Adam, and it was gone at this point, undoubtedly destroyed in the Great Flood. But anyone who had heard Adam's testimony of what it was like, no one could possibly even exaggerate it because there was never a greater place in all the earth before the fall entered in. It was a perfect place. And so in Lot's mind's eye, as he had heard about this garden, he said, this place is like the garden of the Lord. But notice also, it's like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. That's the worldly dimension to it. Remember, Lot had been down in Egypt, and he had had some of his carnal appetites whetted. So he reads in his mind, here's a little bit of Eden. Here's a little bit of Egypt. What could be better? And that's precisely what a lot of Christians are doing in this day, where sin is being increased. 
where sin is being multiplied, they want a little bit of both worlds, a little bit of Eden, and a little bit of Egypt. Verse 11. So Lot chose for himself. What a disastrous decision. You should circle those two words for himself. Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. Now we know from Genesis 14 and verse 8 that this valley was comprised of five cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, Zebulun, and Zoar. And we know that the population was large, that each area had a water hole, so to speak, a water source, which is critical in this region of the world. And archaeology has uncovered that there was probably as much as a million people living in this zone based on the graves that they have found. Verse 12 says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan. A lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Underscore that, as far as Sodom, it's critical to understanding what will unfold in this man's life. He's influenced by what he saw, and so he pitched his tents there. Verse 13 says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Some put the word exceedingly at the end of the verse, some in the middle of the verse. It actually modifies both words. They're exceedingly wicked, they're exceedingly sinners against the Lord. And Moses wants to insert that parenthetical note because he wants us to know what their reputation was like. It was well known what these people were like. Now somehow Lot rationalizes. He knows that this is quote-unquote sin city, but he wants to live there. He probably thought, well, I'd like to live there. It's like the garden of the Lord. You talk about a choice piece of real estate in this dry country. It's magnificent. But it's also a little bit like the land of Egypt. And I liked it down in Egypt. After all, we won't move into Sin City. We'll just put our tents out there in the suburbs. Maybe he and Mrs. Lot had a conversation. What do you think, Mrs. Lot? Do you think we should move to the suburbs of Sodom? She said, that's a good idea, Mr. Lot. We could um, be on the outside. We could even be maybe a light or a testimony of these people. Uh, it's just a short chariot ride, and the entertainments are great in Sodom. We could be there in no time. And the academics of Sodom High School, they're superb. I think that's a good choice. So this was a turning point in the man's life. It's a fork in his spiritual road. And so the text says he moved his tents as far as Sodom. I was trying to speak to some parents recently. We've had over 3,000 people in the last 30 years go through our homeschool seminar. And if you're listening online and you would like to learn about homeschooling, you can go to searchthescriptures.org or communitybiblechurch.us and you'll find the most recent presentation. And I was trying to help reason with some parents why they might want to consider getting their children out of government schools. Most of the parents who come here, they have their children in public schools when they come. That's the standard fare for the average Christian, and especially if they come and they don't know Jesus is their personal Lord. And uh, the devil knows the power of education for good or for evil. Listen to what Joseph Stalin said, that great communist leader. He said, education is a weapon 
whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. Charles Potter, in 1930, he wrote in Humanism, A New Religion. He and John Dewey, who was a, John Dewey was the father of progressive education. He did more to humanize public education than any other single person in the last hundred years. He was one of the architects, of course, of the Humanist Manifesto. But Potter, who was his disciple, wrote these words. Education is thus the most powerful ally of humanism, and every public school is a school of humanism. What can theistic Sunday school, meeting for an hour once a week, and teaching only a fraction of the children do to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? He asks the question rhetorically, and of course his answer is practically nothing. Of course, if you've been to my seminar, then you know in the history of education, initially in America, everyone was homeschooled, with the exception of those who could not read or write, and then typically the most educated person in the community, who was the pastor, would teach in literally that one-room schoolhouse that served as the church on Sunday and the schoolhouse Later on, later on, as time progressed, there were dame schools, which were basically private Christian schools. But understand, public education doesn't really kick in until the mid-1800s. And so here's Potter in 1930, and he knows that if they can capture the minds of children through education, then they can take them in the direction they wish. This is what the Protestant reformer Martin Luther said. He wrote, I am much afraid that the schools will prove the very gates of hell unless they diligently labor in examining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of the youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not unceasingly occupied with the Word of God must be corrupt. Timothy Dwight, he was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. He served as the eighth president of Yale University. And when public schools started in his day, he gave this warning, quote, to commit our children to the care of irreligious people is to commit lambs to the superintendency of wolves. Vadi Bakum, a great pastor, in a recent article he wrote, five reasons to get your children out. I thought he might become the president of the Southern Baptist Convention last week, but he couldn't because he physically lives in Africa running his school there. But he said this, non-Christian education puts the child in a vacuum. The result is that the child dies. Christian education alone really nurtures personality because it alone gives the child air and food. Modern educational philosophy philosophy gruesomely insults our God and our Christ. How then do you expect to build anything positively Christian or give a theistic foundation where there is a negation of Christianity and theism. No teaching of any sort is possible today except in a Christian school. James Dobson, my wife, by the way, back in the early 80s was listening to a broadcast, and he had a guest on, Raymond Moore, and we had never heard of homeschooling. In fact, most people in America had never heard of homeschooling. And he had the grandfather of homeschooling in the 1970s where the movement was just starting and going back to our origins. And she happened to see the book. 
and picked it up and she'd come home and read it to me at night. By the time we were in the third chapter, I said, we're going to homeschool. And we homeschooled our children. But Dr. Dobson, just last week, in his June newsletter, said this concerning public education. He said, public education focuses on lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer studies. This agenda has invaded math, science, reading, writing, physical education, music, art, and social science for all 13 years of a child's schooling. I would get my children out of that godless educational setting as quickly as I could before more damage is done. I would either homeschool my children or find a quality Christian school that would begin every day with prayer and the reading of Scripture. By the way, there's a great website. I serve on the advisory board. It oversees some 300 homeschool organizations. It's called publicschoolexit.com. We'll give you a lot of information, publicschoolexit.com. Here's what John MacArthur said last week concerning, excuse me, last month concerning the public school culture. He said the public schools are, quote, systematically designed and weaponized to destroy children, and God will severely judge parents who fail to raise their offspring and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The child sent to a public school will come under the influence of those whose agenda is anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-Scripture. Now, I've been preaching this for 40 years. As I said, we've had over 3,000 people go through our home education seminar. But when I began to preach this, as bad as the public schools were then, they don't even begin to compare to what the public schools are now. You talk about a salacious, evil agenda that is aimed at taking down the children of America. Just two weeks ago, I mentioned to you the Biden administration decided to hold school lunch money hostage to force their transgender policies, including boys, to be able to use the girls' restrooms and locker rooms starting in grammar school. I think there's too many parents who just blindly think, well, if I enroll my child in a good public school, and I attend church and just somehow make sure they're involved in Sunday school, that they'll turn out just fine. That's what Lot thought. Lot didn't live in Sodom. He lived out in the suburbs. Hey, listen, dropping your children off in Sunday school and bringing them to this worship service or maybe even to vacation Bible school or Awana, you think they'll just be fine. That does not relieve your responsibility that God has given you as a parent to teach your own child. Do you remember when Jesus was asked on what occasion, what was the greatest of all the commandments? You can read about it in Matthew chapter 22. He quoted Deuteronomy 6. Here, Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. As I shared recently at the home school education seminar, you cannot remain neutral because the government schools are not neutral. There's no neutrality in the government schools. I hope you understand there's a worldview 
that has grown drastically evil even in the last 24 months that they're trying to put on your children. Jesus, speaking of neutrality, which he said was an impossibility, said, the one who is not with me is against me, and the one who does not gather with me scatters. Listen, only Christian education can provide a clear standard of what's right and wrong. And I'm not here to rank on some of our administrators and assistant principals and teachers, most of whom all home educate their children. (laughs) Some of them are going to face a very difficult day ahead. The President of the United States on Wednesday, I read through pages and pages of his executive order as he had over 300 homosexual, transgender, lesbian people in the White House. And his executive order influenced every single department. Here's what the Secretary of Education needs to do. Here's what the Secretary of Transportation, every single department. And all of them have between one and 200 days to report back to the president of how they are going to implement their policies concerning the LGBTQIA lifestyle. And I'm concerned for some of our teachers, much like the man in Virginia in Luton County, who refused because it was against his conscience to use the preferred pronouns of a child. Now, he won in court, but it's being appealed. But I guarantee you what the federal government has coming down the pike is huge. And yes, even pastors, because what he wrote, he warned about the evils of conversion therapy. If someone's gay, that to counsel them out of, quote-unquote, gayness is an evil. He's evil. Sometimes I pray, Lord, take him, but then I think the alternative might be worse. And then the second in command would be Nancy Pelosi, who walked a drag runway last week, affirming wickedness. Listen, the scripture says that we're to bring our children up in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. Go into Buford Public Library. Go into the library where your children are in a public school. And you'll see books like Heather Has Two Mummies. You'll see all these colorful books in the children's section for kindergartners. I saw one this week, and it shows a little five-year-old go, going, looking, looking in the mirror, and the title of the book is, Am I a Girl? These children are being taught evolution. They're being taught to revere Mother Earth. And so Jesus said that you are to teach them diligently. You're to speak to your sons and your daughters when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. They're being taught transgenderism is normal. What do you think that will do to a five or six-year-old? You can convince a five-year-old that there's this big fat man named Santa Claus with a long beard who has a red suit on and he has reindeer that flies and he can be sucked down every single chimney in the world. What are these kids going to believe? They're going to believe what you tell them. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Carl continues his sermon on Lot's Day and Jesus' Return. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 006. 
Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you would like to help sustain this ministry, click the Give button on our app or visit searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the Scriptures.